For the last nine weeks, we've been looking at the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And with just one more week to go, we're nearing the end of her story. And it's a remarkable one. One that moves from the part we're most familiar with about the birth of Jesus all the way to the end of his life, which begins with the story we're looking at this week. And as we've said previously, Mary's had a front row seat to the major events of Jesus' life, and this story today is no exception. This part of the story began about noon. John tells us in John 19 that Pilate, the Roman governor, a spineless man, who, pandering to an angry crowd, would eventually sentence Jesus to death. Pilate, though, didn't think that Jesus had done anything wrong. So when the religious leaders first asked to have him executed, he said, what charges are you bringing against him? And their answer was an evasive, if he were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you. If that's the case, Pilate responded, then take him and judge him by your own law. But they refused. Why? Well, eventually they admitted that it was because the Roman law prohibited them from executing anyone, and they would not be satisfied with anything less than Jesus' death. So Pilate cross-examined Jesus personally and came away confused by what Jesus had said, but again, unconvinced he'd done anything wrong. So he proposed releasing Jesus and ending the whole matter. But the crowd wouldn't let him. Instead, they convinced him, we find this out in other of Jesus' biographies, they convinced him to release a man named Barabbas, a man convicted and sentenced to death for leading an insurgency against the Roman government, an event in which at least one person lost their life. Ethically, it was a wicked trade-off, executing an innocent man and allowing a guilty one to go free, and Pilate must have wondered if this would come back later to bite him. And it very well could have. You can just imagine, maybe six months later, by that time, Barabbas has raised a new army of insurgents. They attack a squad of Roman soldiers somewhere in Palestine, and maybe those soldiers or some of them lose their lives. And if that happened, it wouldn't have taken long for some young punk with his eyes on higher office to have let it slip that Pilate allowed Barabbas to go free. And then Pilate would have had an even bigger problem on his hands and probably would have lost his job. But given the crisis of the moment, he needed to take that risk. At least that's the way he saw it. So he had Jesus stripped and flogged repeatedly until his back was a bloody mess. Then having twisted together a king's crown, the soldiers took out of, made out of thorns, they pressed it into his scalp. And the pain of all of this must have been excruciating. Then making fun of his title, king of the Jews, they dressed him in a purple robe, the color most often associated with royalty. They mocked him over and over again, saying, Hail, king of the Jews! Hail, king of the Jews! And slapped him in the face. And still Pilate had not made the final decision that the Jews were looking for. Once more he came out telling those gathered that he'd found no charge against him, no basis for a charge against him. But the crowd wasn't having it. Crucify him, they shouted over and over again. Pilate didn't want to give in. He knew Jesus wasn't guilty. He knew the, the Jewish authorities. The religious leaders were just jealous, and that's why they wanted him out of the way. And Pilate was afraid. He was afraid of the crowd and also afraid to execute an innocent man. We know from one of the other biographers that Pilate's own wife had warned him against doing this. So he went back into the palace where the soldiers had Jesus in custody and started peppering him again with questions. But Jesus wouldn't say anything. He remained completely silent and exasperated. Pilate finally asked, why don't you answer me? 
And then wanting to get Jesus' attention, he said, don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Finally, Jesus spoke up. And he said, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Frustrated and feeling disrespected, Pilate still, nonetheless, stubbornly held out. And then the Jewish leaders tried a new argument, a new approach. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Now, when Pilate heard them say this, he could see right through their hypocrisy. The Jewish leaders hated Caesar. They didn't see him as their rightful king. But because it suited their purposes in the moment, they tried suddenly to make it look like they were even more loyal to Caesar than Pilate was. We have, they said, no king but Caesar. With that, Pilate finally gave in, and he handed Jesus over to the troops to be crucified. And from there, things moved quickly. The crossbeam for the cross was strapped to Jesus' back, and he staggered toward the site where the crucifixion would take place. And from other biographers, we know that Jesus was so weak that he couldn't make it. So they had to grab someone straight out of the crowd, strap it to his back, and he made him carry it the rest of the way. Then they arrived on the scene, and they nailed Jesus to the cross and crucified him. And that's when John tells us this. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, three Marys. John's the only one to include that particular detail in the biography of Jesus. In a moment, we'll see that there's a good reason for that. But the important thing for us to think about is what Mary must have been experiencing as, they, as she stood there, watching all of this unfold. As she heard the hammer coming down on the nails, heard the screams, not just from Jesus, but from the other two who were being crucified alongside her son. It was horrible to be there, but she stayed, stayed out of loyalty to her son. Last week, we heard about how Mary had a difficult time coming to terms with who Jesus really was. Early on, she thought or expected that Jesus would be a warrior king, a religious reformer, and a righteous politician. But eventually, she understood she had to adjust her expectations. And while it's likely she didn't fully grasp everything until even later than this story takes place, Mary had in the meantime become more than just Jesus' mother. She had become a follower, a disciple of his. And it's here that she shows great courage in choosing to follow him in the midst of a difficult and dangerous situation. Now there's a debate, I have to tell you, about how risky it was actually for Mary to be there. Mary and the other women, uh, some argue, because of the low status that women had in the society and in the culture, had really nothing to fear. The men had a lot to fear. That's why they weren't there. But the women, well, not so much. But I think that view distorts what's really going on here. First, while it may have been less risky for the women to be there, it was still nonetheless risky. It took courage to be there. It's always risky to be associated with someone that the Roman authorities thought was so dangerous that they needed to be executed. But they also faced social risks. After all, who would want to be associated with them when this was all over? To be known for loyalty to someone the religious authorities believed and regarded as a heretic. It took courage for Mary and the others to be there with Jesus in the end. So why was she? 
Well, it wasn't because she thought, well, it's just a little less risky. I'll be overlooked because I'm a woman. It was because she loved Jesus dearly. She was willing to set aside fear to show her loyalty to him by being there to the end. And she did this even though she didn't understand all that was going on. Last week we talked about her confusion about Jesus' mission. The fact that she and the rest of Jesus' family at different points in time thought he was either crazy or just simply didn't believe in him. They thought he had gotten off track. So last week we told the story of how they arranged for an intervention and Jesus wasn't having any of it. But now here she is in the end, confused still about what Jesus is up to. And yet, unlike earlier, she's not scolding him. She's decided that she can trust him even if she can't understand what's going on. So she's chosen to follow him, even though the circumstances that have unfolded are really the exact opposite of what she expected. I think there's an important lesson for us here. Like Mary, we sometimes have our own misconceptions of the way God will work in our lives. There are times when we think we've got it all figured out, we know what the script should look like, and then things go awry. Things happen that we didn't expect or even choose. It might be a broken relationship or a challenge at work or a financial setback or a health problem or any number of other difficulties that we may face that we didn't choose. Whenever that happens to us, we're faced with a choice. Do we begin scolding God, like Mary and the rest did in the story we looked at last week? Or do we choose to trust him even when we don't understand? When we face difficulties that we've never faced, what I find, at least personally for me, difficulties that I didn't choose, I take inspiration from looking at those who have gone before me those I've known maybe who've gone through difficulties even more challenging than the ones that I face, and yet have chosen to be faithful to God, to trust him in the midst of those. To see their continued obedience to God, despite what's going on, gives me the courage that I can go on facing whatever difficulties I may face. Watching their trust increases my trust in God. Mary's one of those inspirational examples her faithfulness to the end came in spite of circumstances. It came not from the events unfolding before her, but from her conviction that God was at work despite what she saw happening, at least from her perspective around her. Now, as this all happens, Mary likely was also thinking about an event many years in the past for her, a time when she and Joseph and her infant son went to the temple to have him dedicated. They were greeted by an old man named Simeon who welcomed them to the temple warmly. He took the child in his arms and he blessed them and he made incredible predictions about his life. He said he's the Messiah, the promised Savior that everyone is looking for. And we're told that Mary and Joseph marveled at what was said about him. But then Simeon broke the happy mood. He told them that some would receive Jesus with joy, but others would reject him. And then he looked at Mary and said pointedly, and a sword will pierce your own soul. A sword will pierce your own soul. And that's exactly what is happening right here. As Mary watched the soldiers nail Jesus to the cross, she had to be thinking of those words spoken to her over 30 years before. There's one more important moment in this story that John lets us see. And that is that while Jesus hung from the cross, 
John tells us that Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. And he said to her, woman, which by the way is a term of endearment, not a disrespectful term. He says, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. I find it amazing that in the midst of Jesus' most significant crisis in his life, he's still thinking about the future for his mother, how she's going to get taken care of, very practical things. And he chose his friend, John, to do that. Mary, by this time, had lost her husband. We don't know when Joseph died, but it was sometime before, maybe recent, maybe a long time ago. In the days before Social Security, she was entirely dependent upon family and friends for her livelihood. And Jesus knew this. And with him gone... He wanted to make certain that he was taking care, she was taken care of, so he chose John, his friend, to make sure that her needs were met. Now, some have speculated why, why didn't Jesus choose his younger siblings? Why didn't they fill that role? And we don't know. Maybe they weren't able to. Maybe they weren't willing to. We don't know. We know that, at least up to now, it looks as though they didn't actually believe in Jesus. For whatever reason, all we do know is that Jesus wanted to make certain she was taken care of, and she was. Not long after, Jesus, depleted physically by his wounds and emotionally and spiritually drained from the entire experience, was at the end. And with one final burst of energy, he said, It is finished. And with that, John says, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Later, uh, a man named Joseph asked Pilate if he could take and bury Jesus. And with his permission, he took Jesus away, placed him in a tomb, finishing the task just before sundown at the beginning of the Jewish Sabbath, rushing the process so it wasn't complete. Mary and the other women made note of the place where he had been buried uh, and went to their homes that evening heartbroken. In a few days, Mary's understanding of what had happened would be transformed When that happened, millions upon millions of Christians through the century would understand what she understood, that Jesus had died for her on the cross because of his love for her, love that each and every one of us can experience in what Jesus has done for us. Mary's love for Jesus began as the love of a mother for a child, but in the end, it was transformed into the love of a Savior. St. Paul, reflecting on the events of that day, would later write this. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by faith in the Son of God, that's Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. And Mary would agree. She too lived by faith in the Son of God, her son Jesus, who loved her and gave herself for him, or for, gave himself for her, and for you, and for me. Would you pray with me? Father, we are eternally grateful for your love, demonstrated for us, when while we were yet sinners, those undeserving of your mercy, your son Jesus died for us, giving us life, both now and for eternity. We pray this in his name. Amen.